Hi, and welcome to Everything Theatre's podcast, where we chat to the creatives involved in bringing you some of the amazing theatre we get to enjoy. Find out how exciting new shows come together and listen to the behind the scenes stories from directors, musicians, producers, and more. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy. This week, I've got Michelle and Cena. They are the people who set up Camden Fringe and run it every year for us. A fantastic Camden Fringe. Hello to you both. Do you want to both introduce yourself and then we'll dive straight into talking about the fringe? Hello, I'm that Michelle. I am Zena. And let's let's talk about Camden Fringe first. Let's talk about it. Let's just dive straight in. When did you set the fringe up then? Oh, was it two two thousand and six? Two thousand and six, when we were running the Exeter Theatre at the time. Yeah, and we thought, hmm. What should we do in the summer to try and fill the space up? Because normally it would be quite empty. So that was that was the thought behind it, and and then it worked. Did it start off just as a festival at, at etc. Then, yeah, yeah the first the year. first year, and then it's was it sort of year on year. It's just you've just invited other people to take part and grow. Yeah, it grew very steadily um, for the first couple of years. So we just sort of added a venue a year. Um, and then I think after about five years, we went, right, we know what we're doing now. Let's invite a few more. And it's kind of expanded from there. So we generally have about 20 venues each year. It's, and I mean, you're not, it's not just Camden now, is it? No, not. we kind of try and make it Camden adjacent. So, you know, places that are on the Northern Line or mm-hmm. very close to Camden, accessible by canal or bus. Um, so it's, yeah, yeah it's kind towpath. of... A, a, yeah, to, it's a bit more North London now, but Camden Fringe sounds better than North London Fringe. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think just having the word Camden in it, because everyone knows Camden as a sort of an arts place, isn't it? So I think yeah. it sells itself that way. And are all those, so you've got all the same venues coming back this year? Yeah, I think yeah. we've got most of the same venues from last year, this year. Um, yeah, and then we've got a few that are coming back that we sort of haven't had since before the pandemic so we've got like Cecil Sharp House coming back and the London Irish Centre coming back and Phoenix Arts Centre putting some shows on this year so yeah it should be should be lovely so we'll, get, we'll have a few more so it's going to be bigger this year is it well we don't know yet I mean it's, it's usually it's usually around the same size isn't it I think it's found a natural I think plateau it's its, yeah it's reached its limits how many shows did you have last year, do you know, roughly? It was just under 300, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Which is about as many as we can cope with, I think, really. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, is it, is it, I mean, and before we record this, we're talking about sort of time we spend doing some of this rubbish. Um, oh, sorry, sorry, sure got rubbish, this, this fantastic stuff. Um, <laughs> but um, how, I mean, is, is this a full-time fit? Is this your full-time jobs now, or do you do this on the side of actual run of proper jobs? <laughs> It's um, a shared job, I'd say. I wouldn't, yeah, I think both of us do this part-time um, and both of us have other jobs on the side. But I like to think that Camden Fringe is our main thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've been doing it for 17 years, so. Um, it, but it isn't much more than a part-time job. It's certainly, it's, it's still just us two. It's very, um, you know, kitchen table kind of management. I mean, how how hands on are you? I mean, what what is? Uh, let's let's talk about the process for artists first. So let's so for artists to get involved, what do they need to do now? 
have a look so, at our website. There's lots of information mm -hmm. on there. And, and then we uh, take applications through um, Eventatron, which is a sort of hub that lots of festivals use. Mm. So it's quite useful if you're wanting to apply to, for example, Brighton Fringe or uh, Greater Manchester Fringe or the Camden Fringe. You can do it all through Eventatron. I, 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 yeah, because I looked at that event from. So um, I I've heard you talk about that. So it does look quite. It's it 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 seems like quite a central hub, isn't it? So it's quite useful for people to sort of go on there and have a look at all the different sort of festivals they can apply to. Yeah. Yeah, we used to. Yeah, um, so have we've a, been using um, it. Sorry, go go on, Michelle. No, you carry. No, you carry on. So we we used to have our own system of. Um, people applying via our website which we use for years and that worked really well actually but it's it's nice having it in using this system now because um i think companies will find us that wouldn't necessarily have found us before and and the same with companies sort of applying to us and then thinking oh hang on a minute i can apply to all these other festivals as well and do like a mini tour of festivals so that's quite nice if if someone wants to register now, do they have to have a, the show ready formed now, or they apply now with you know, and then have the next few months to get the show sort of in place? No, they can apply now, um, and it can be sketchy with their sort of you know the details of what they're going to do. Um, we'll we'd need things like marketing information, so they'd need to have a blurb and a picture. Um, within the next couple of months but the first step is applying getting your basic info out there and finding a venue and then you know if you want to write it the day before you can we wouldn't suggest you do that but you know it's possible possible or doesn't just improvise it doesn't usually end well if you write it the day before yeah. i um I, I we've spoken to a few people doing improv shows and i always ask them i said where does an improv isn't an improv just because they haven't got around to writing a script and i swear that's why people go into improv because they're just not organized enough but <laughs> if yes and and once so they register and they then they they can then sort of do they approach the venues themselves how do they get involved with the, you know how do they select their venues they want to play at um well they can select the venues through eventatron and then the venues have access to all their information so the the venues have access to Eventatron as well. So that's kind of how they contact the venues and the, ven the venues will contact them. So um, they don't need to contact the venues directly, but it never hurts to chase them up in person or go and visit. It's always nice if you can go and put names to faces and see the venue before you uh, turn up there to perform. So, um, you know, give them a call, invite yourself to go and have a look around. Do you, do you feel the venues, each venue has its own personality? Do you feel like certain shows will work better at different venues oh god absolutely and and quite often you know we, we say to people you can apply to up to six places but look at the look at the information about the venues first to make sure that where you're applying to is, is going to be suitable for your show and then we have so many people that don't do that and then you know might apply to like one of the really big spaces with their 30 minute one woman show that they've just started developing and really they should be in a nice small room because they don't need the whole shebang at that point so it's really important to have a look and make sure the space is suitable for you and look what other kinds of things that they have on throughout the year yeah i mean i it is, isn't it i mean i find there's certain venues that i love going to because of their programming so i suppose that is the issue isn't it it's like they have a certain type of show and a certain type of venue. So and it, it is, isn't it? Each venue has its own feel. 
yeah, they all have their own audience as well. Um, so people know if they go to, for example, upstairs at the gatehouse, they're likely to get a revival or a musical or um, something quite um, traditional, probably. Um, but if they go to Camden People's Theatre, it might be a bit more physical, um, more devised stuff. Um, and then there's obviously some venues that are known for having comedy um, over theatre. But actually, we're finding that the boundaries are blurring a bit more. So we have got like the Museum of Comedy um, are putting on uh, plays and things. And um, then we have, you know, I haven't seen Camden People's Theatre do a lot of stand up, but um, the etc. and the Hen and Chickens will do stand up. Mm. No, although they did, do you remember a few years ago we had. I can't remember who it was who did stand up there, but they did brilliantly, didn't they? Do you remember? No. <laughs> well, that was a good anecdote. <laughs> <laughs> but there was one. I get Camden Fringe feels very important, uh, sort of very important part of the calendar to me now. It's you know maybe because we see so many shows there, but do you do you feel it has become an essential part of like the Fringe calendar? Uh, well, I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I, I think, I think, yeah, lots of lots of performers know about it now, and you know, some people will just try and do a, a few dates right at the beginning before popping off up to Edinburgh. But I think some will also do it instead of Edinburgh, or and and some people who like doing lots of festivals will think, right, oh, I'll, I'll do Camden in August, and I'm going to do Brighton in May, I'm going to do Manchester in July or Buxton, and. Yeah, we are we are part of the um, part of the fabric now. Although at the same time, I think if we disappeared, something else would just pop up and take our place. Yeah, I mean it's nice also being at the opposite end of the calendar year to Vaults Festival, um, so that we can kind of share artists. Um, you know, there's definitely room for two London fringes. There's a and there's a lot that play both, isn't there? I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot at this year because obviously we had no Vault Festival last year. There's quite a few artists this year who've done Camden Fringe last August and are now doing the Vaults Festival at the moment. Um, mm. So it's I always see I always see it as a sort of progression. Like the, the Vaults to me is like the start of the year, and you do the Vaults. You might then go to Brighton, you might go to Manchester, and then say Camden and then Edinburgh. Um, it does it does feel like you're a stepping stone now. It feels like you're part of the you know the, the what what shows need to go through to get somewhere. Yeah, we're like a rite of passage with the gatekeepers. <laughs> Not really. Do you, have you noticed a change last couple of years? Because, I mean, there's suddenly, I think, uh, it feels like since, I mean, I think it was happening pre-lockdown with Edinburgh, but a lot of people are starting to sort of not be so keen on Edinburgh because of the cost of it. So do you, do you feel people are now looking at Camden Fringe as sort of almost an alternative? I, th I think a little bit, or, or I think... People are thinking maybe I don't go up to Edinburgh and do the full month because it's crazily expensive and maybe they don't actually have to go up there for a whole month and drive themselves mad. They can just go up, do a week or two weeks, have a nice time and, and do something else instead. So I think I think the shorter runs there is becoming more commonplace, whereas it didn't really used to be did it it was people no, do the whole thing yeah when we were involved in edinburgh fringe stuff producing or working at venues it was um i mean i think maybe it was partly the venues that we were we were doing the big venues um but it was very much you went there and you were there for a month um and then you came back and you were broken for a month and then eventually you recovered <laughs> um and i think now it's definitely more 
not, I don't want, fragmented sounds like a negative word, but you, you can break it up yeah. and not do the full month. You can do, you know, a, there's more venues to choose from that you can do shorter runs at. I think people are more aware of, of the toll it takes on them, like not just financially, but mentally and physically. And I think people are actually thinking, if I if I do this for a whole month, maybe I will go a bit nuts and maybe it is better to not put myself through that. Because, I mean, we, we saw all sorts over the years, but it is really hard on people. You know, if you have a hit show, that's brilliant and you'll have a great time and you'll be riding high on on that and that can affect you in a weird way but also if your if your show's a bit it's okay but it's not the best and you're getting middling audiences and you're which is more likely which is much more likely and you're and every day is a, a struggle to get the audience in you never know at the start of the day if you're going to have an audience this really stressful and it, and hard I think quite hard to focus on actually doing your show when you're worrying about whether you're going to have an audience and and whether the rain is going to keep people off and um and you're you know you're constantly worried about the fact that if you don't get enough people in you're going to end up owing the venue money at the end of it so it is really stressful but you know obviously brilliant I'm a huge fan of going up to Edinburgh but stressful yeah, and I mean, I, as I've spoken to a few people, say, especially I spoke to a few after last year, and I'm even at the moment, I talk to people who are thinking about going to Edinburgh and that. And I think at the moment, everyone is just so aware of the cost <clears throat> that it's. I think that's the first thing people are thinking about now. You're not, as you say, you're not thinking about the show, you're thinking about the money, which is detrimental to putting on a good show, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas with Camden Fringe, we. I mean, it, you know, it's still not super, super cheap. It still costs money to, you know, to pay you for your fringe registration and pay for a venue. But it is cheaper. You do have a hope in hell of making your money back. And I think you can make more artistic mistakes. Whereas if you if you take a show to Edinburgh, you need to be sure that it's really in good shape. Whereas with us, I think you can do something that's a bit, wild and wacky and it might be brilliant and it might be dreadful but it's not gonna kill you i think we're probably more like edinburgh used to be maybe 20 years ago when you would take a show up to develop it you take a show to edinburgh because doing it every day for a month was the way that you you learned about the show and you developed it and then you would take it on tour and um, take it to london but now it feels like edinburgh is the culmination of your your shows kind of you have to have a show ready, fully yes. ready. Yeah, yeah we, you have to be ready to be reviewed to, um, on the first day and so on. We spoke to a performer yesterday and I think she said something really interesting, which was sometimes you don't know what what you've got until you put it in front of an audience and it might not be what you think it is. And I think mm. it's really nice to have the option of doing something one day and thinking, oh, okay, right, that, you know, that I didn't think that was funny and that turns out that's funny, so I'm going to really do this and try and do this next thing like next day and push on this side and then get rid of that bit and yeah as Michelle says you you work on it throughout but I don't I don't think you can really do that now in Edinburgh no it's it's a big risk to sort of go it's I've got half an idea and I'm going to spend ten thousand pounds making it into a full idea that's a you know that's a big a big ask of performers Mm. and I think yeah and I think I think risk is a really interesting word there because 
I thought you can take a bigger risk at Camden now, can't you? Because I say you haven't got that massive outlay of money, you, you know, so you're not spending so much to put a show on. So you you can afford to take a few more chances, which maybe why it feels so exciting now because it's you know it's like the Vault Festival at the moment. It's if you're doing three or four nights, you know, it is it. Yeah, I, I go to, I go to shows at Camden Fridge. I go to shows at Vault Festival, and I'm not worried if it's not a completed art completed work because i expect it to be a work in progress and that's what it feels like to say that i might know lots a lot of what i saw at Camden fridge last year they were shows that felt like they were still developing but they were fun to see but they were i i watched them with the mind that this this is just their starting point yeah does that sound fair absolutely and that's the fun of it is that you get to see something and you know you never know where this germ of an idea is going to develop um, what it's going to become. Yeah, and, um, and they're, yeah, they're never more than an floor. hour, are they? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, if it's, you know, if you go in and think, oh, this is not for me, at least you can have a pint in your hand and, <laughs> you know, go and have a chat about it afterwards. I I only saw a couple like that last year. Um, there, there was one show I saw and all the way through, I was just thinking, you know, this, I'd say about, I, I go in a mind that, you know, they're not going to be the completed work. You know, they're, they're still a work in progress. But I saw one show, and it's like, this should still not even been on, st- you know, this shouldn't be <laughs> off the paper yet. You should have sat down and actually finished writing your script before you got to the show. But but again, it's it's part of the fun. It, from, an, you know, from an artist's point of view, you can take the risk. From an audience point of view, you can take, you know, I, I think it's great to take a risk as an audience member to just say, right, I have no idea what this show go be, but I'm going to go and see it anyway because it just, you know, it fits in my time slot. And you see some weird and wonderful things that way, don't you? Yeah, and that's, we try and keep the ticket prices cheap um, as possible so that people will take a chance on stuff. So they're not, you know, we make sure it's kind of less than, the well, equivalent to or less than the price of a cinema ticket um, to see a live performance because you want we want people to, you know, not feel like they have to, get a banked brilliant show if it's only a fiver if it's only a tenner you're going to take mm. a risk and you know even if it's awful in fact well actually awful shows are kind of brilliant because you've got something to talk about afterwards oh. <laughs> um it's the sort of average shows that you're a bit like mm, i haven't really got much yeah, to say about saying, that yeah you had an idea but you're not really executed it and it wasn't awful yeah i i love i love seeing things that are either brilliant or really bad <laughs> I, I, it's true, actually. It's the bad ones are the ones you talk about more afterwards, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. They're the ones you remember. <laughs> I think it's like dating, isn't it? So, you know, if you have a really <laughs> bad date, then that's a good story. If you have a great date, brilliant. Uh, but most dates are going to be, you know, fine. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned ticket prices. How much control... Do you set the prices then, or is that something the artists do in conjunction with the venues? The artists do that in conjunction with the venues, but we have a framework. So minimum price is five pounds, and the maximum is twenty pounds this year. I mean, what what are the costings involved? I mean, we probably should call, talk costings for the artists here, shouldn't we? So, so they pay a registration fee up front, don't they, to to get their show sort of on, and then from there, it's it's again, do they work with the venues about everything, sort of all the other costings? Yeah, yeah the so venues they'll... will charge a higher fee. Dean is the budget expert. I shall let her expand. Um, so yeah, they, they pay us a registration fee. It's ninety nine pounds, and then um, they'll, all the venues charge differently because they all have different costs to cover, and they all offer different things. So range from cheap to probably quite a lot for some of the big ones. Um, so 
yeah the performers have to think about what the you know what their marketing will be how many people are in their show what sort of audiences do they realistically think they're um going to get and and budget accordingly and i mean do you get involved with just giving them advice on that sort of stuff is that part of what you know you offer yeah yeah, we have lots of guides on our website and we have now started a podcast, um, which we're hoping will also give people like insights and advice as well. Camden Fringe Pod, available from all the usual podcast places. <laughs> we, and, as, yeah, and I can vouch for that. It is, it is a fun, Even as someone who's not putting the show on, it's a fun listen. I've, I've, I have enjoyed it so far, saying we will make sure we put links up for that for you. I mean, you've, said, you've been going for 17 years then. So over that years, I mean, I think just to highlight why Camden Fringe is important? Have you, you know, you've had some big, some shows that have come, gone on to big successes. People that have gone on to big successes, and probably used Camden Fringe as a stepping stepping stone. Yeah, yeah. I went to see um, a show last night um, called An Evening Without Kate Bush, which was by um, Sarah Louise Young, mm. um, and it was fabulous. I think it um, it's done Edinburgh recently, yeah. um, but she did a show. I was afterwards. I was like, I'm pretty sure she's done Camden Fringe, and yeah, it turns out 2009, she was in oh, the Camden wow. Comedy Club. What is well, it's called the Camden Comedy Club now? It was, I think, at that time Liberties. possibly called Liberties. Yes. Um, but yeah, obviously she's doing incredibly well. Um, I think the one that's most interesting um, and probably goes against everything we've advised uh, against in this podcast so far is um, Liz Kingsman's One Woman Show, which um, was on at the Camden Fringe in 2019. Um, she performed at uh, Camden People's Theatre and uh, it was a, it was called One Woman Show Work in Progress, brackets work in progress um, <laughs> at the time. And that's gone on to amazing things. It had um, a run at the Soho Theatre. Then it did six weeks at the Ambassadors at the end of last year. And and recently has been on at Sydney Opera House. And the most amazing thing, she did a trailer for it and it had Jon Snow in it. Not Jon Jon Snow. What's his name? Kit Harington. Kit Harington in it. For trailer for a fringe show. Um, But I read an interview with her when she was... Um, publicising the Sydney Opera House thing, saying, yeah, I booked in to do the Camden Fringe. I hadn't written the show. I got an email from them two weeks before saying that I hadn't sold any tickets. I still hadn't written the show. So <laughs> we're, we're advising people to write their shows in advance. But actually, it turns out if you do write your show two weeks before, you could possibly have a big hit on your hands. So that one's kind of quite notable, I think. Um, um, there's also people who aren't performers who've... I, I was thinking about this last night people who aren't performers who have kind of grown from the Camden Fringe. So um, like the Clapham Fringe, um, which is run by the team behind the Bread and Roses. Um, Valencia, who is part of that, um, she did her first shows, I think, at the Camden Fringe as part of Get Over It Productions. They were one of our, for the first like 15 years, they did a show every year at the Camden Fringe. Um, And then she's gone on to like found the Clapham Fringe and work at the Bread and Roses. Um, and then Joel Golby used to review for The Londonist. Um, he needed, he covered the Camden Fringe between 2010 and 2004, uh, 2014. And now he's like the TV columnist. He's the new Charlie Brooker in The Guardian. And he works for Vice as well. So it's kind of not just performers who yeah. have who learned stuff at the Fringe. It's also backstage people um, and, even, and even reviewers. I think... 
Oh. Yeah, I think we forget about the um, the backstage people, don't we? Because I think so many shows are, you know, one-person shows and it, the performer is also the director and they produce it themselves and they market themselves. But we forget about all the other people involved, don't we? So, you know, the, you know even the lighting, the sounds. And for them, it's a stepping stone as well, isn't it? For them, it's it's a learn, it's it's a great, safe environment to learn from, isn't it? Yeah, so it's a good place to kind of, you have to because it's so small you're doing a little show and you there's not lots of people covering all the roles that would be hap- happening in a in a major theater production you've got to learn to do everything you've got to be able to do setting the props setting the lights uh using the soundboard and so on so you kind of you know it's a great way of learning learning the yeah, trade it's nice and... to do those little things and get a little bit of confidence at a small place like yeah. um when um Robin Inns, well, he was doing a show in Manchester at the time, but my daughter was 10 and I got her to do the box office for him and then sell books for Ben Moore after, uh, after he'd done a show afterwards. And, um, but you know, she loved it because it was like, oh, you know, I've, I've had a go at actually dealing with adults and doing this, this like real life thing. And that would, that's what doing a job would be like. So, and, and even things like, you know, volunteering to do front of house and just shouting out, actually using your voice to shout out that, you know, the house is, the, now, the house open. is now open. <laughs> um, so, some people have never done anything like that. And actually it's, it's like, and it, and for some people it's really not a natural thing to actually shout out in front of a room full of people. So I think, you know, there's a lot of valuable experiences to be had all the way through. How are you doing for this year for registrations at the moment? I mean, it's been, registration's been open for, what, about a month or so now? Um, we started, yeah, about, actually about two months ago. Oh. Um, and we have around 400 registrations, although that sounds big. A few of them are people who just register to go and have a little nosy and see oh. what how, to, how it all works and then maybe decide it's not for them. But we have um, quite a lot of shows already I think it's 21 at the moment, but it changes every day. Mm-hmm. They've already confirmed they've got their venue booked, their tickets are on sale, which is um, phenomenal given that we're still five months away. <laughs> Matt Green's doing very well with his ticket sales. Oh. Mm-hmm. But yes, we're still plenty of room for plenty more. Some ven- Most venues are sort of in negotiations with people. They've started, but there's still um, plenty of space left. So as Zena said, we've just added a couple more venues um, who are still lo- lots of space uh, you, for grabs. Do you, have a, do you have a closing date for your registration? I suppose you must do because it's you know, you've got to be before August. But is there sort of, you know, do you close it off quite early or? No, we're very flexible with our um, with our dates. So if people want to, you know, decide in July that they're going to do a show, if they can find a space, they can still register with us. They will miss out on certain things. Obviously, we do a lot of promotion in advance and they're going to kind of miss out if they don't mm. do it before that. So we recommend people do it by sort of end of April, start of May, if they want to apply, if they want to register, sorry. Um, if they want to apply, get on it now because we've had quite a lot already. But you It know, takes a lot of thinking about, doesn't it? It does, but yeah, we're we're pretty fast and loose with our registration deadlines. In that we haven't set. We one are yet. these days. We used to be really, um, really. We used to be quite oh. strict about it, and then everyone would just ignore us anyway. So you know. And you, do you, I mean, is is there a case of you getting a lot of people who've just done the Vault Festival? So that once they've finished their show there, maybe they're looking to register with you. You know, maybe they sort of see how it goes at Vaults and then move on to other festivals. 
Yeah, they could well be that. Yeah, I think probably you need kind of once vaults finished, that will probably be the time that we see the kind of people go. It's it's too much to think about while the show is still going on. Obviously, lots of people have already finished their vault run, but you know, I think um, yeah, that's we'll give it another month, and that's we'll we'll Mm. see then what's going on. But we've got lots of people who've done Camden Fringe previously who are coming back, which is always really nice to see. It's, yeah, and it's, sometimes people do a show and at the end of it they might go oh i'm never ever doing that again and then they need, need like a little bit of time and then after a little bit of time they think oh i might just do that show again and they, it's like a what cognitive dissonance they forget about how much they tortured themselves over it have the folks been in touch with you at all to talk about um how you operate because they're obviously looking for a new home at the moment so have they have they been in touch i did i did speak to them a couple of weeks ago and said that they should look at your model they have not no i think they um they kind of like their having their hub don't they and having yeah. um a, a central building that everything happens in whereas we're very spread out so they're quite different in those respects and i think yeah they obviously each has its own strengths and weaknesses but i don't know i'd like them to see to see them in something similar again i think that works really well for them Right, let's start wrapping up. So, so yeah, so just remind people, so to, to register, they can go on to the Camden Fringe website and that has the, all the information they need, yeah? Yeah, that will link to Eventatron and have all the information they need and our website is very easily camdenfringe.com. We'll make sure the links go up for that. Um, and any 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 highlights or anything you've already seen come up that you reckon is going to be a must-see show for this August? Oh, we've not got a lot. Uh, we're only 21 at the moment, so it feels a bit mean picking some mm. out. Um, oh, yeah, I'll... I think but the, it all the sounds 21 very and they're all, they're all must-sees. They're all, see, all the 21 that are already registered. But yeah, it, they're kind of a really good mix of, there's a bit of improv, there's some stand-up, there's some devised theatre. We had a bit of da- physical dance theatre was show number 21 that registered yesterday. Some stuff that just sounds bizarre but you know that's what we like that's what, that's we're what i'll be looking out for um it's, isn't i mean there's surely an element here where you say the ones that are, are planning now are going to be the better shows because they've given themselves plenty of time to get organized yeah i think there's definitely an argument for that um yeah whether, it's not yeah. always sometimes not always you know people can just throw in a bit of last minute genius <laughs> there is no account for it is there um Right, so we'll make sure we'll put links up. We'll um, say if anyone's interested, say, and even from an audience point of view, you can book tickets now, can't you? As you said, there's already tickets available. What we will say to people is if you're going to go see a show, you might as well see two or three in one night because you can do it so easily, can't you? That's that's what I love about it. I think it's the fact that you'll go get, you, you can stay in a venue for an evening and see two or three quite often very different shows. Yeah, make a night of it and go to a venue you've not been before. Oh, that's where I go wrong. I keep going back to the same venues. <laughs> um, we'll say we'll make sure we put links up for you. Michelle, seeing that been absolutely fantastic. Say, so really interested to hear about this. I'm really going to be keeping an eye out for Camden Fringe this year. We're going to try and do a lot more coverage if we can squeeze. If I can get the reviewers out and about as we did last year, we'll try and get as much as we can in. So it's been lovely to hear about this. Lovely to talk to you at last. I've been I've been wanting to talk to you for ages. So it's really nice to finally catch up. Um, and good luck with Camden Fringe. And we'll be seeing you in August. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. And don't forget to share our podcast if you enjoyed it and subscribe so you don't miss our next episode.